Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. A beauty queen tragedy. I'm Jason Horton. I'm Rebecca Lieb. And this is Ghost Town. Sounds as though waving expedition is a better course. But this whole thing makes no sense to me because the crime in question took place in 1960. In late March of 1960, 20-year-old college student Maria America Guerra visited a Sacred Heart Church 12 miles from McAllen, Texas. She knelt at the communion rail to pray on her rosary when a quiet man in a different pew grabbed her from behind and tried to put a rag over her mouth. Screaming, she fell backward and bit down on his fingers until they bled. He threw her to the wall and she ran out. I thought that the man that attacked me was a priest, Gara said in her sworn statement. She couldn't point to any specific proof, just that he had worn black pants like priests did. She felt ashamed for even voicing suspicion of the church, and she kept quiet after that. This attack would foreshadow one of the most extensive, controversial, and highly publicized investigations in the county's history. Let's talk about the murder of Irene Garza. Irene Garza was born in 1934 in McAllen, Texas, a border town where her Latinx parents, Nicholas and Josefina, owned a dry cleaning business. As Garza grew up, her parents' business had become successful and the family was able to move from the south side of McAllen to a better part of the city. There, Garza went to McAllen High School. McAllen High was a predominantly white school in the 1950s, and even still, the beautiful, athletic, yet shy Garza was the first Latin student to become a twirler and then the head drum majorette. Irene Garza went on to Pan American College, where she was the school's homecoming queen, and then went on to be crowned the 1958 Miss All South Texas Sweetheart. After getting her teaching credentials in college, she was also the first person in her family to attend college. Garza went on to teach second grade at Thigpen Elementary, where some of her students came to school barefoot from the nearby border colonies. She spent her first paycheck on them, buying them clothes and books. With her kindness, Irene was also liked and fashionable, being elected secretary of the PTA. At 25, she wrote to a friend in a letter, I've made quite a few friends this year and I'm much happier now than I've ever been. Her love life was also exciting. She'd been dating two men, but was coy with her friend about one of them. I won't mention his name, but we double dated the last time you were here. The other she wrote without much enthusiasm was an Anglo boy, not real handsome, but cute and religious, which is important. She noted that her ex-boyfriend had sent her several cards and a box of candy on Valentine's Day. I can't lie. I think of him often and wonder if I'll ever get over him. 
Between you and me and the four walls, she confided, I pray constantly that if it be God's will, I will get over him eventually. What I haven't mentioned yet is that the most important thing to Irene, beyond her popularity, beyond academics, beyond career stuff, was God. Garza was a devout Catholic, active in the Catholic community. Her faith was what sustained her. Remember the last time we talked, I told you I was afraid of death, she wrote? I think I'm cured. I've been going to communion and mass daily, and you can't imagine the courage and faith and happiness it has given to me. On April 16th, 1960, a day before Easter, Irene's mom lent her the family car to go to church. She promised she wouldn't be long, leaving around 6.30 p.m. and making it the 12-block drive to the Sacred Heart Church. And Irene going to church, which she did often, was not a low-key event. Everyone noticed her. Sometimes guys who were interested in her would attend Mass just for the opportunity to be in her presence. The night before Easter wasn't any different. People remember all kinds of details about Irene that you may not have if she weren't Irene. She made the sign of the cross. She knelt by herself. Someone else recalls her asking if she could skip the line in confession because she was running late. And yet, no one ever saw her leave the church after that service. As the night went on, Irene's parents first thought that she had stayed at church for midnight mass. When Irene didn't return home by 3 a.m., Nicholas and Josephina went to the McAllen Police Department to report their daughter missing. Their inclination to go to the police quickly was a good one. The next morning, Easter Sunday, the Garza family car was still parked down the street from the church. Two days later, a pedestrian happened upon a single, small, high-heeled shoe on the side of the road. It was slightly scuffed, fashionable. Irene's family confirmed that she had worn the same shoe to confession. After the shoe spotting, more evidence was found by the Hidalgo County Sheriff's Department, who searched for any evidence of Irene's whereabouts on horseback. 300 yards from the shoe, a black patent leather purse was found, with Irene's driver's license inside. Still farther north, authorities found a piece of white lace crumpled in the brush. The sheriffs continued to canvass around the church, the irrigation canals around the Rio Grande, and enlisted Border Patrol planes and 65 National Guardsmen. The search for Irene had become, at the time, the most extensive investigation in the county's history. A week later, the police received a call reporting that a woman's body was floating in the 2nd Street Canal, across from a Sears. A crowd gathered to watch as detectives used a tarp to lift Irene's body from the water. She was fully dressed except for her shoes and underwear, which were missing. The right side of her face was badly bruised, and she had two black eyes. The autopsy would later determine that Irene had been beaten with a hard object and suffocated. The body's state of decomposition suggested that she had been dead for slightly fewer than four days, and perhaps held captive for up to a day before her death. There was also speculation that she had been raped before death, but after being comatose. Irene's brother-in-law, who was the person charged with identifying Irene's body at the morgue, was so horrified by the sight that he reportedly ran from the room. Of course, the media went apeshit, speculating what kind of person could have killed this beloved town fixture, a transient, a boyfriend, a fellow McAllen citizen. The theory that never made print, but was believed by most of the town, was that Irene's killer was someone she probably trusted the most, a priest. Let's take a break. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly 
which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Have you ever found yourself reading the Wikipedia synopsis of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre because you're too scared to watch it for yourself, but you're just so curious? What about The Conjuring? I can't even imagine how anyone can watch this movie. (laughs) Each week on Too Scary Didn't Watch, we recap horror films for all the scaredy cats out there. With help from special guests like armchair experts Monica Padman. The Ring is the movie that I remember being like, I can hardly contain, like, I'm so scared. A funny feeling host, Betsy Sodaro. It's my favorite thing to just scream horror movie plots at people. (laughs) We love it. It's our favorite thing, too. It's so much fun. (laughs) New episodes of Too Scary Didn't Watch are released every Wednesday and are available wherever you get your podcasts or at tooscarydidn'twatch.com. Hi. Hello. How are you? Hello. How are you doing? Are you well? We're checking in. This is what we do right now. We're like the check-in twins. The check-in twins. Yeah. Both in looks and in check-in interest. Yes. A very young, very hot, very concerned. Just, don't look at pictures of us. Just no. imagine that. Look at pictures of somebody else that yeah. you like. Yeah. And two of them. And then hear our voice. Hi. Hi. We want to say hello to anyone who's listening. Thank you for the support. Yes. All of our patrons. Absolutely. Thank you to our government. Mm-hmm. James Harrington. Hello. Dara Rosenzweig. Hello. Joshua Lambert. Hello. David Bull. Hello. Ashley Matson. Hello. And we also want to say hello to the one and only... Avian Noble. I said it. He's mad at me. Our governor. <laughs> Avian... Not the citizen. No. Not the citizen. Not the regular old citizen. Uh-uh. The governor. Avian Noble. I love it. it. Is this for the future episodes? <laughs> Just getting it out there? You're Just like, bank them. Cut and paste this. Just bank them. What we're doing is we're what we're doing is we're trying to get Rebecca to say every single possible word so she can just do this like via AI. Yeah, yeah. I'm slowly getting in. phased out. <laughs> yeah, just have me say every word in the English language. Yeah. Emphasis on like murder, ghost, internet. This true crime is going <laughs> be great. And if you want to hear bonus episodes, early access, no ads, no chit chat, Patreon.com/slash/GhostTownPod. And we just hope everyone's doing well, and thank you for listening, and thank you for the support. All right, let's get back to it. So as the investigation continued, the only clue to the killer or someone involved was a muddy shoe print with a strand of hair intertwined in it, just four blocks south of where Irene's body had surfaced. The ground was so soaked with rain that authorities couldn't make out the details of the shoe or its exact dimensions, only that it was maybe a man's shoe, size 8 to 11. There were no fingerprints, no DNA at the time, no eyewitnesses, really. Detectives' working theory was that Irene's killer had unloaded her body from a car and threw it into a canal. On the banks were the tire tracks and a faint imprint of her jacket were. The town scraped together $10,000 in reward money leading to the information on the case, while detectives interviewed pretty much everyone in Irene's life, from family members to a dude she went on one date with. 
The Texas Rangers got involved, reconstructing that Saturday night before Easter at Sacred Heart Church, mapping out who stood in front of who, who was in line in the confession, etc. Detectives started to get clarity, slowly, on what happened that night. A priest had taken Irene's confession that caught their attention. He was 27-year-old John Fite, who had recently finished his seminary training in San Antonio. With dark hair and horn-rimmed glasses, Fight was well-mannered, aloof, and a weirdo loner. There are many pictures of him online. He feels like you would expect from an early 1960s white man. He was also strangely ambivalent about his job. When he was asked why he had joined his priesthood, Fight said, very casually, I just wanted to give it a try. On the night Irene disappeared, Father Fight was in the confessional and helped with Midnight Mass. He also had met privately with Irene in the church rectory, though Fight's account of what took place that night changed as the investigation unfolded. Originally, he said that Irene wanted to discuss a, quote, question of conscience with him that he couldn't disclose, and he sent her to confess. But later, he said that he had heard her confession in the rectory, which would be viewed by the other priests as super inappropriate. This is not something that I knew personally. Along with, I don't know, changing a story, other things seemed weird about Fight. He would leave the sanctuary for long periods of time, and when Fight and some other clergymen had coffee after midnight mass, he had scratches all over his hands. This is where the separate attack of Maria America Guerra comes into play. The one where we started the show with? She visited a different Sacred Heart church 12 miles away and kept quiet after initially recounting her story because of her intense shame around criticism of the church. Said a friend of Irene's, The priest at Our Lady of Sorrow said he knew that rumors were going around about a priest being involved in Irene's murder. She said, he told us it is impossible that a priest would commit a crime like this. Don't speak of it. Don't even let yourselves think it. So again, this kind of complicates the matter, the culture around the church at the time. And knowing that something had maybe happened with another young woman. And then this, again, we'll discuss it in a bit. In late April, detectives drained the 2nd Street Canal around where the muddy shoe print was found and saw a light green Eastman Codislide viewer with a long black cord. Police shared that information with the public, and two days later, Father John Fight himself stepped forward and said that it was his, that he had purchased it previous summer at a drugstore. Again, mind-boggling. Finally, Fight sat down with detectives to talk. That Saturday night, he confirmed he had counseled Irene in the rectory. He said he last saw her when they exited the rectory between 7.15 and 7.20 p.m. Afterward, he had heard confessions and took two smoke breaks. He broke his glasses in the confessional that night, and at 1 o'clock, he went to his house to get another pair. He was locked out there and said, quote, Because of this, I had to make my entrance through a second-floor balcony, propping up a wooden roadblock or barricade against the side of the house and climbing in it in this fashion. I scraped the back of my right hand slightly and the index finger and my middle finger of my left hand more severely on the brick wall. Fight even sometime after this was being investigated spoke to Irene's parents, Nick and Josephina, who obviously wanted any information they could find. After the talk, he was worried and drove around aimlessly for a while. Father Fight never explained how his slide viewer found its way into the canal and admitted himself he was seen around and in the other sacred heart where Guerra was attacked. After failing a lie detector test, Fight was indicted for assault with intent to rape Guerra. He was declared a fugitive when church officials at the San Antonio headquarters of the Albates of Mary Immaculate told arresting officers that he had left the state. Later, he surrendered, claiming that he had suffered a nervous breakdown brought on by the police interrogations and stood trial in 1961. The jury deadlocked 9-3 to in favor of conviction, and it ended in a mistrial. 
Rather than face a second criminal trial, in 1962, Father Fight pled no contest to reduce charges of aggravated assault and was fined, wait for it, $500. No murder charges were ever filed against Fight. Nick and Josefina Garza, who would both die in the 90s not seeing justice for their daughter, were assured that Fight, whom they had suspected killed Irene all along, would be sent to a monastery. Father O'Brien promised the family that the church would punish him if it found out that he had done wrong. Father O'Brien was the head of Sacred Heart at the time. This is what Josefina's sister, Herlinda de la Vina, remembers. He told us that the church's punishment was greater than any sentence handed down by the courts, and we believed them. Who are we to question a priest? In 1972, Fight went on to a monastery and then a treatment retreat for troubled priests. He then left the priesthood entirely to get married, had kids, and moved to Phoenix to become an insurance salesman. In 2002, Texas Ranger Rudy Jaramillo, who worked in the Texas Rangers' new cold case unit, began to reinvestigate the case. Jaramillo kept a framed black-and-white photograph of Irene on his desk, incentive to keep on going in cases like hers. Jaramillo didn't have much to work with, especially with Irene's murder. DNA testing of Irene's clothes came up negative, and almost everyone involved had died. He was fortunate that the 1960 investigation had been remarkably methodical and well-documented, not like a lot of the cases that we talk about on this podcast. But then some new information came to him out of nowhere. A former monk living in Oklahoma City was insistent that he had information on the case. This monk, named Dale Ticini, had met Fight in the monastery. Ticini counseled Fight to see if he had what it took to become a monk. Obviously, he didn't have what it took. And he went to the home for troubled priests or whatever after that. Still, Fight essentially confessed to Ticini years ago. He'd been living with this horrible secret, this monk, for 40 years. It was a good lead, but wasn't ultimately pursued until 2014 when District Court Judge Ricardo Rodriguez campaigned to unseat the previous district attorney using the reexamination of Irene Garza's case as a platform. He won, and the Garza case was reopened with added resources. In February 2016, the 83-year-old ex-priest was arrested in Scottsdale, Arizona. On December 7th, he was finally convicted of Garza's murder. The prosecution asked for a sentence of 57 years, which was symbolic of the amount of time that had passed since her death. On December 8th, 2017, the jury pronounced a sentence of life in prison. Three years later, on February 12th, 2020, Fight would die in prison, quietly, of natural causes. I got to imagine how hard it is especially in 19 early 1960s when mm-hmm. when you're you're going up against the church mm-hmm. it's got to be it's got to be tough and i'm sure the people around him weren't the priests and people in the church weren't thrilled about this i'm sure mm-hmm. they weren't happy about this but i'm also sure it has this obviously it has this almost like a code of silence i'm sure where they we know now you know with with hindsight that a lot of secrets are kept and I imagine how tough it is, but I'm actually pretty impressed. And like the police seem to do a really great and thorough job. Yeah, and it seems like the the jury and, and and the legal system really let really let her down. Yeah, absolutely. And we talk about yeah the failings of different police departments all the time, but this is let's pick another institution and talk about its failings. Even another priest says, "Oh no, they're gonna. It's gonna be a lot worse than them actually going to mm-hmm. prison." And we believed them because they were a priest, but. That belief in that safety mm-hmm. is unfortunately got this whole thing started. Exactly. Uh, unfortunately, not to say that's something that always happens or that that's always the risk you're going to run. People do things in, in any vocation or whatever you want to call it. But I think the fact that is you can't, could you question somebody who worked at a Target? Sure, easy. Questioning a priest, that's. No, this is a tough. trusted person in this woman's life. Like, this is 
a woman who has dedicated herself to religion, which again, is a beautiful thing in a lot of respects. But the fact that she was like this institution, this church is a place that I trust. I'm here. I live in this small town with my family. Things are going well for me. It's the center of the community in a lot of ways. And to just like really abuse that. This is such, this is, we've talked a lot about stories like this. And certainly a lot of organized religion also has history of this kind of thing. But it's, it's so heartbreaking to see little by little how the church failed this family. And the fact that this priest became a priest because essentially he felt like it, mm-hmm. which is fine. And listen, it's like, uh, I'm gonna, it's a whim. I'm going to try this out. But it's also your belief in me mm-hmm. and a man of the cloth or, or, or whatever that is. But when somebody's, oh, this person flipped a coin. Yeah. Maybe he, he wanted to be an insurance salesman first. And he's like, I, I chose exactly. priest. Now I'm going to you know flip it the other way. Now I'm going to go back to insurance sales. And he, what did it cost him? $500 and some inconvenience. And yeah. then he just went and started a whole new life mm-hmm. with a family. So for him, unfortunately, it was society made it worth it for him to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It is so horrible that he was protected for so long. And I'm happy that said something of it, but it took 40 years. It took 40 years of being like, this is the church. I'm protecting it. And also a culture of that, a culture of people being wronged by an institution. And it's not just the church too. It's many, like we talk a little bit about entertainment too, and the protection of people in different productions or or famous people or doctors. Oh yeah. I love their songs or I love their movies. So how could they possibly do something that goes against the the songs they've sung or the movies they've been in. Exactly. It's like we privilege these people who have not earned it for the most part and put them on these pedestals. And then we're not just surprised when they are human beings who are capable of horrific things. We protect them. And to give the monk a break, it seems like that everyone did their part and it seemed the priest was – pretty upfront it didn't seem like he was high. yeah he skipped town and stuff like that but up at he's like i'll take your test but i failed was mm-hmm. like yeah that was me yep yeah. that was me it pretty much was on a silver platter and he didn't do much to stop it but i wouldn't be surprised if the influence of the church in some way made things go in a different direction that's yeah. i don't know it's it, the ball was dropped and it, it shouldn't have to be a precinct uh, uh, it shouldn't have it shouldn't have to be on a monk 40 years later no to say something or somebody to come into power that's i'm going to reopen this case and this is going to be my platform which is but this guy essentially he lived his whole life and to him if if he for some reason got enjoyment out of it or was like i'm glad i did it it was worth it for him Mm -hmm. and that's a really horrible thing yeah absolutely bless me rebecca for i've sinned (laughs) well if you do some research on this though there's lots of pictures again the police documented this really well and there's one picture where if you look at this priest, closely, he looks like he is in Weezer. Oh. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. 
Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.